touch with technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey there, and welcome to Tech Stuff. I am your host, Jonathan Strickland. I'm a senior writer for HowStuffWorks.com. And as always, I like to cover all things technical, technological, and otherwise techie on this show. Today, I thought we would explore the world of ultra-high-definition TV, or UHD TV, or 4K TV. There are a lot of different names for it. And we'll also touch on other stuff like 8K TV, which, is it twice as good as 4K TV? You'll have to wait and find out. But it's really, this episode's not so much about the technology behind what makes 4K and 8K television possible, but rather to kind of explain what are the differences between those, the ultra-high-definition formats, and our current high-definition formats, and even older standard-definition formats. What has changed? Are those changes meaningful? Should you run out and buy a 4K television set right now? Uh, so I'll talk about times where UHD makes sense and times where it might not make sense, where it may be indistinguishable from an HD set. Uh, but be warned, this episode shall also be fraught with opinions. Fraught, I say, and those opinions will be mine. But I'll do my best to maintain a semi-objective point of view for the most part. Just keep in mind that some of this is based off my own observation, and your own experience could be probably not dramatically different from mine, but different enough to be significant. So uh, this is a little more of an opinion piece than what I typically do for tech stuff, unless I get, you know, my dander up about something like net neutrality. Now, if you were to be super, super cynical, and I am not this person, but if you were super cynical, you might say, 4K is just a technology that's being pushed on us by TV manufacturers because they need a way to generate customers. They need to find a product that appeals to customers so that they can sell stuff and make money. And 4K is just the gimmick that they're hitching their cart to. Uh, in this case, the gimmick is a 4K horse, I guess. Well, how do you convince your customers that they need to upgrade to a new television? you got to come up with something that creates a new demand, right? Because TVs tend to be fairly expensive. They might not be the most expensive thing that you purchase. A car is going to be more expensive, but they can be significantly expensive. So it's an investment. How do you convince people to cough up the dough to make an investment in a new television if their old TV is still perfectly in working order? You have to come up with things that add value to the product. So if you're trying to convince people who are typically waiting several years between television purchases to upgrade, uh, you got to figure out, well, what what's the hook? Where do I get them? And in the past, we've seen a couple of uh, misfires from the television industry in trying to create these sort of value-added features in televisions that haven't necessarily paid off the way the industry wanted it to. Uh, like a, about a decade ago, TV companies began to experiment by making televisions smart. But those first few smart TVs were awfully dumb. Uh, there was an over-reliance on widgets, and those were mostly irritating, not helpful. Over time... Companies got better at implementing smart features, and today smart TVs are pretty standard in stores, and they're they're 
features are a little more useful than the old ones were. And for the most part, again, it all depends upon who's making the user interface and how it's implemented with the television and the remote control. There are a lot of factors that come into play. I still do not own a smart TV, despite being a lover of technology and the fact that I love new and interesting toys. I haven't purchased a smart TV. The last time I bought a TV, it was before the smart TV craze had really taken off. It it had started, but you could still find plenty of televisions that were not smart TVs. And they were slightly cheaper. And I didn't really want any of the smart TVs that were on the market back when I was last purchasing a television. So I skipped it. Uh, these days, I might not skip it, but I'll get more into that a little bit later. Then, for several years, television companies were really trying to push 3D technology. And this was one of those sort of transparent efforts to create a value for the customer that ultimately fizzled out. Customers just didn't respond to it. There was a lot of apathy on the part of consumers. We just didn't really see a huge need for 3D television. Part of the problem was that without experiencing it, you can't really know whether or not that purchase is going to be worthwhile. So you would need to go to some place and try out a 3D television with good 3D content before you could decide, is this for me? And that requires a lot more effort. Uh, it also uh, didn't have a whole lot of content, right? Like You couldn't find a lot of 3D content. There were 3D movies, so you could go out and buy Blu-rays or even get some streaming ones that were compatible with certain types of 3D televisions. But there wasn't a whole lot of content out there. So you felt like you were buying into an ecosystem without a whole lot of stuff to actually watch. It was kind of a worst-case scenario for 3D te technology. And these days, you don't see it touted as a major feature in televisions. There's still a lot of TVs that are 3D capable, but often that's just one little bullet point on a list and is not being touted as the main feature of a television. It's rare that you find a TV that pushes itself as a 3D television. And now let's talk about resolution. To do that, we're going to start earlier than 4K or even HD. This is all about laying the groundwork, which you longtime listeners of Tech Stuff know, that's kind of how I like to do things. So to begin, we're talking about image sharpness or resolution. That is really the focus, no pun intended, of this episode. This isn't exactly the same thing as image quality. They're not synonymous. It is a factor in image quality, but not the only one. Other factors also determine whether or not the image you see on a screen is good or isn't good. The resolution is important, but it's not the end-all be-all. Two other important things to consider would be color representation and contrast, for example. Those are very important elements in picture quality, and without them, if you don't have very good contrast or if you don't have good color representation, the images might be in really sharp focus, but they're still not going to look as good as a television that has really good contrast and really good color representation. In fact, there are some people who argue if you were to get two sets together, and one of them's in 4K and one of them's in HD, and the HD one has really good color representation and contrast, but the 4K has four times the resolution, arguably, that you would probably think that HD set is actually giving you the better picture because of that amazing color representation. More on that a little bit later as well. 
in a way, resolution really comes down to being a selling point similar to the way megapixels are for digital cameras. Uh, my producer Dylan could tell you that just because one camera might be advertised as taking images with a larger number of megapixels, it does not necessarily mean that those images are going to be more pleasing to the eye than a camera that has maybe fewer megapixels in the images it produces. There are other factors that matter a lot, but megapixels are an easy way to point at differentiation between two camera models. Right. If you're selling cameras, it's easier to say, well, this camera takes eight megapixel pictures, but this one takes 12 megapixel pictures. So it's four megapixels better. It's easier to make that a selling point, even though all the different factors that really determine the quality of an image are much more subtle than that. So the same thing is true, I would argue, with high resolution televisions. It's easier to say 4K is a higher resolution and therefore is better than HD than it does to dig down into all the particulars, which is what we're going to do today. If you listened to, uh, there's an episode of Tech Stuff called What's the Big Deal with Megapixels. We talked about this. This was back in 2009, and that was uh, Chris Paulette, my former co-host, and I. We sat down and talked about megapixels and why they aren't the end-all, be-all in digital cameras. You could almost take that episode and do a search replace for megapixel to resolution and camera to television and have a very similar argument for this particular episode. But please don't do that. Otherwise, I'll be wasting my time for the next 35 minutes or so that I record this. Now, at its core... Resolution is referring to how many points of light or pixels, if we're talking displays, make up the images you see on screen. So if your television was just one pixel, you would just get one solid block of light as your picture. It would be whatever the color of light was being displayed at your one at, at that time. But that's it. You would have like red or green or blue or whatever it might be or just white. That's all it would be able to show because it's one pixel. It's one point of light. It'd just be a really big one. Uh, pixels can come in different sizes. They can be teeny, teeny, tiny, or they could be larger. Very frequently, I use an analogy where I talk about, imagine you've got a wooden frame and you've got some blocks that you can place within that frame to make different pictures. And each block is of a solid color. So you've got lots of different blocks to choose from, but you have a limited number that you can use at any given time because the size of the frame and the size of the blocks determine how many blocks you can use. So you've got this one frame and you get 16 blocks and it's your job to make a car out of those 16 blocks or rather the frame can hold 16 blocks. You've got enough different colors to choose whatever you want. Well, you might be able to make something that's vaguely car shaped and people might be able to figure out what you were creating based upon association, but it's not really going to look like a car. It's going to be really blocky. Well, let's say that I give you that same size frame, but now I'm giving you much, much, much smaller blocks and you have 16,000 of them instead of 16. Well, now you could make an image of a car that looks much more car-like because these pixels are smaller. You got more of them. The resolution is better. It's still going to be a little jagged because you're still using blocks but it's going to look much more like an actual car. Then let's say I give you 160,000 blocks that are even smaller, and you can use those to make 
your image of a car. Each time I'm reducing the pixel size, I'm also increasing the number of pixels that can fit within that frame, and each time the resolution increases. You get a, a better level of detail with each decrease in size and increase in number. So standard definition in the United States for the old 4.3 aspect ratio TVs was, uh, it was 704 by 480 pixels. Uh, you had uh, a, a width of a screen that was 704 pixels wide, and you had a height of the screen that was 480 pixels tall. This was really the video source resolution. When you look at the actual resolution of television screens, it's a little different, but that gets so complicated. We're going to focus on the video formats, the standards. So 480 pixels tall, and that's how we would measure resolution. We looked at vertical resolution. How many pixels vertically do you have? So in the U.S. it was 480. If you take those two numbers, the 480 tall by 704 wide, and you multiply them together, you determine how many pixels are in that feed in the first place. And in this case, you end up with a number that's 337,920 pixels. So even in my example of 160,000 little blocks to create your picture of a car, that was about half of what standard definition television was capable of showing. Uh, Of course, it's never that simple because... The world is a complicated, messy place. For one thing, the standard definition would be different in Europe than in the United States because the systems that Europe used were independent of the systems we used here in the U.S. So PAL and CCAM systems spawned television sets with screens that had 704 pixels wide, but 576 pixels tall, which meant you ended up with a grand total of 405,504 pixels. So slightly different between Europe and the U.S., Now, I could also talk a little bit about horizontal scaling, but that just will delay us from getting to UHD even longer. And honestly, it's not really that important. So we'll move on to talk about high definition or HD TV. These sets were able to display more pixels on a screen than standard definition screens. And we're going to stick to televisions here because we could go down the rabbit hole of displays in general, like computer monitors and that sort of thing. But that's beyond the scope of this episode. We're really talking about 4K TVs when you get down to it. So you've got three major types of high-definition resolutions, 720p, 1080p, and 1080i. Now, the two 1080s have the same resolution but display those lines of pixels in different ways. So P stands for progressive scan, meaning that uh, it's showing all the pixels in every every run of a refresh. The I stands for interlaced scanning. You're showing every other line with every refresh, but you're doing those refreshes frequently enough where the human eye can't pick up, ideally, the fact that you're only getting half of the lines of pixels on any given instant. Uh, so, again, where it goes outside the scope of 4K televisions, just know that you're seeing a lot more pixels than you would with standard definition. Uh, with 720p, we're looking at a video format of 1,280 columns of pixels versus 720 rows of pixels. So again, we're looking at the height, that vertical element, vertical resolution, 720 pixels tall. But you've got 720 times 1,280. That gives you more than 900,000 pixels. Uh, in actuality... It turns out to be 876,000. That's because of the way that televisions actually display this information. So again, it's a little bit less than what 
you would get if you just multiply those two numbers together, but in the same ballpark. Then you have 1080 resolution, which is 1080 pixels tall, again, vertical resolution, but it has 1920 pixels wide. So you multiply those two numbers together, you get 2,073,600 pixels, though the real number is 2,005,056 for 1080p, and 1,555,200 for 1080i, because again, it does that interlacing. So, uh, the important thing to remember again, way more pixels than you would get with standard definition. But you really only enjoy the benefit if you are getting high definition content. And this is the same that is true for ultra high definition content. Like you have to have the content to go on the set to actually be able to enjoy this boost in pixels. If the information's not there, then all you can do is perhaps upscale the image, which mostly involves a lot of guesswork. It doesn't magically convert standard definition to high definition video. If you get the upscaling, that typically involves an algorithm that's making a best guess what a non-existent pixel in a video source would be based on its neighbors. So you get an incoming video source that's standard definition. That's set for a certain number of pixels. You're going to put it on a television that has effectively twice as many pixels, maybe more. And in order to fill in all that information that doesn't exist, the algorithm would essentially say, well, all the neighboring pixels for this one that doesn't exist but should, they're all red. So I'm going to make this one red too, because my guess is based upon the information I have, it should be red. It does this over and over and over again for the entire picture. So these algorithms are pretty good, but um, they're not perfect. Also, they don't they don't talk. I I said talking to make a point, but they don't actually speak because they're algorithms. Now, I think it's safe to say that most people think of 1080 as the basic high definition set these days, rather than the 720, unless they're looking at smaller TVs. One of the things that's really important with high definition and also ultra high definition is the screen size. A 1080 TV with a 40-inch screen has just as many pixels as a 1080 TV with a 70-inch screen. So if you've got two televisions and one is and is much larger than the other, but they're both at the same resolution, they both have the same number of pixels. The smaller set crams those pixels together much more closely. They're smaller than the larger set is. Now, usually the Difference in size isn't so great that you can actually pick up on the difference, like being able to actually see the pixels unless you're right up there on the screen. So it's not like you necessarily notice it if you're watching the television from a good viewing distance. And we'll talk about that a little bit more later on, too. If you get really close to a screen or you start looking at seriously huge screens at lower resolutions, then you're going to start noticing pixels. So let's talk about ultra-high-definition television specifically. Now, this includes 4K, but we'll also talk about 8K sets. That's uh, the concept televisions that, if they ever do come to market, are going to be further into the future. I mean, you could pour out a ridiculous amount of cash and get an 8K television set, but it would make no sense because there's nothing to watch on it, not at 8K resolution. Not unless you're also paying people to make 8K content for you to watch on your 8K TV. And if that's the case, I'm I'm amazed and I want you to adopt me because it sounds like you're loaded. But when we talk about ultra high definition, most people are actually talking about 4K 
there are a lot of different terms, UHD, ultra high definition, 4K TV, that all have been used interchangeably and it's confused the market a little bit. In fact, 4K alone is a confusing term. But some of you might say, well, whatever happened to 2K? Like, why did we go from 1080 to 4K? What happened to 2K? I heard about 2K video cameras. Why don't we have 2K television sets? Well, you do have 2K projectors. Those do exist. So if you want to get a projector and use a projection instead of a classic television, you can get a 2K projector. But there are also 2K TVs, technically. You could make an argument that 1080 HD television sets are actually... 2K TVs. And all of this has to do with the way we changed our perspective on television resolution by 90 degrees. So what do I mean by that? Well, remember, a 1080 HD television has a resolution of 1920 pixels wide by 1080 pixels tall. So we always talked about vertical resolution. But we don't do that with ultra high definition. Uh, we, we did it with standard definition. Standard definition we defined by vertical resolution. High definition we defined by vertical resolution. So we should do the same with ultra high definition TV, right? You would think, but that's not the case. Instead, we turn our perspective 90 degrees. Now we talk about resolution by horizontal resolution, not vertical. So we're looking at how many pixels are there from left to right, not from top to bottom. Uh, why? I don't know. Someone made that decision. And it's frustrating because it is inconsistent with the way we've described televisions in the past. However, using this new way of looking at resolution where we're looking at horizontal rather than vertical, we can look at 1080 TVs as being 2K because... The resolution for a 1080 set is 1,920 pixels wide by 1,080 pixels tall. Well, if we look at that 1920 wide and we round up, you get 2K. And rounding up is perfectly legit because that's what companies are already doing with 4K and 8K sets. They don't actually have 4,000 pixels wide horizontal resolution or 8,000 pixels wide horizontal resolution. Instead, it's less than that, but they round up. So if they can round up, then we can round up. So now your 1080 set, congratulations. It just got upgraded to a 2K television. Nothing about it changed technologically. We just changed the way we measure resolution by looking horizontally instead of vertically. And if it sounds like I'm a little snarky about this, it's probably because as someone who tries to communicate things about technology and science, it is really frustrating when people change up the way you measure stuff. So 4K resolution, let's talk about that. A 4K set or UHD set has a screen resolution of 3,840 pixels by 2,160. So again, neither of those numbers are 4,000, but now we're looking at that 3,840 pixel wide, that horizontal resolution number, and we're, we're rounding up to 4K. Uh, also, real TVs don't have that exact resolution, but again, that's the case across the board. That's the standard, however, that has been set. It is not the standard for 4K that was originally set by Digital Cinema Initiatives. Uh, they set a 4,000 pixel wide standard ages ago, but no one actually makes TVs that follow that standard. 
Uh, that standard, by the way, was specifically 4,096 pixels. It wasn't 4,000 even. Scoff, scoff, said the TV manufacturers, and that's why we get the 3,840 by 2,160 nonsense. But here's the good news. The difference in resolution between what 4K actually is and what it was supposed to be based upon Digital Cinema Initiative's proposal is about 13%. And at that percentage, it is imperceptible to the human eye. So if you were to switch that 3,840 pixels wide to 4,096 pixels wide, no one would notice. It's too small a change for it to be uh, perceptible so or perceivable or any of those words. You wouldn't notice is my point. This did mark where we started looking at horizontal resolution instead of vertical, though. So that has changed the industry. Uh, if you no- multiply those numbers together, by the way, and you're wondering how many pixels would be in a 4K image, you're talking about 8,294,400 pixels. So you do get around four times the number of pixels on your screen as you would with 1080 sets. So that probably also adds more confusion with the 4K. People might think, oh, 4K doesn't really mean 4,000. It means four times the resolution of 1080. That's not exactly true either. Besides which, you wouldn't call it 4K. You'd call it 4X if that were the case. But it does have the benefit of making people more confused. So, yay. Now, just like HD, you would have to get UHD content onto your television set in order to really enjoy that higher resolution. Otherwise, you're really looking at more examples of upscaling where you're taking a, a lower resolution image and adding more information into it in order to display it in a UHD format. Meanwhile, you probably heard of 8K sets, which don't get me started on those. They're really in the concept TV stage at the moment. So you're not going to have a whole lot of opportunities to buy one unless you have a ridiculous amount of money. We're talking like $100,000 for a television set that has nothing to show on it. Um, also, uh, you would probably just end up watching 4K content or or less on it. So you wouldn't really be able to enjoy the full benefit of it. You could have an enormous TV at that size and sit really close to it and not notice any pixels. That's one benefit. But uh, without having stuff to watch on it, you probably wouldn't really appreciate it very much. However, the technical specs for 8K involve a resolution of 7,680 by 4,320 pixels. This ups the pixel count to a whopping 33,177,600 pixels. Yowza. But... Again, you'd have to have that 8K video source to really enjoy that. So let's say you've heard all this, but you're thinking about getting a 4K television set. Where do you get your content and how big of a television should you get and how close should you sit to the screen? We're going to answer those questions in our next section. But first, let's take a quick break to thank our sponsor. All right, so let's say you're in the market to buy a new television. And chances are, in your area, 4K sets are dominating your search because they're the flagship products for many manufacturers out there. Their prices have been coming down in recent years. So they're no longer in the realm of just like the wealthy or the bleeding edge uh, adopters. They're no longer like $2,000 or $4,000 sets. Although you can certainly find some that are in that price point. You can find some now that are less than a thousand dollars you can still find 
HD sets in a few places, although they're becoming more challenging to find, they're being phased out slowly by the market. You can make a whole lot more money selling 4K sets than you can with HD sets. HD sets, the prices have come down enough so that the profit margins are pretty narrow. 4K sets, that hasn't totally hit the bottom of where, where those prices are going yet. So there's an incentive on the part of retailers to carry 4K sets to make more money and to upsell you, to convince you that the 4K experience is better than the HD experience. Uh, so if you want to look at 4K, it's brand new, relatively speaking. The the companies are, have an incentive to sell it to you. What do you watch on it? Let's say that you want one, you decide to buy one. What do you actually watch on your 4K set? What's available? Well, it's not going to be cable television because cable TV doesn't carry any 4K content. Uh, that means you're out of luck if you're hoping to pull down ultra high definition versions of your favorite shows on cable. Now, satellite's a little bit different. DirecTV and Dish Network have both done a little bit of broadcasting in 4K, but it's only been a little bit. Like, it's, it's again, not widely available across all their programming. So that means to really take advantage of 4K, you need to do a couple of other things. One thing you could do is get a 4K Blu-ray player and some 4K Blu-ray titles to play on it. If you get a 4K Blu-ray player and play a normal Blu-ray on it, you won't enjoy the 4K resolution. You have to get the actual discs that were encoded in 4K. Some devices like the Xbox One X can play 4K Blu-ray discs and tend to be, uh, you know, of a comparable price than to, to 4K Blu-ray sets. A 4K Blu-ray set that's dedicated might be a couple hundred dollars cheaper than, say, an Xbox One X. So it becomes one of those things you weigh. Do you save a couple of hundred dollars by getting the dedicated Blu-ray 4K player? Or do you shell out a little more money and get an Xbox One X that's also a video game console and a media center on top of being a Blu-ray player? Uh, but you also have to keep in mind there's a limited amount of 4K titles that are on optical discs in the first place. So not everything is available in 4K resolution. Uh, they do have an advantage when it comes to 4K optical versus 4K streaming. Optical discs, you're going to run into fewer artifacts. Artifacts are essentially the visual uh, element that is similar to noise in audio recordings. You get these things that can be very distracting. You can notice some jagged edges or other issues from compression algorithms. That's because streaming video, you have to compress it in order to have reasonable transfer times. You're sending so much data across networks if you want to make sure that the person receiving it is getting a decent experience you have to compress it well the more you compress it the more chances there are of inserting artifacts into the signal you don't run into that as much on optical disk encoding it can happen especially with like a manufacturing error but you are less likely to run into it so if you go out and you start buying disks again you'll be able to watch in glorious 4k resolution you can get 4K feeds from several popular streaming services, though, as I just mentioned, they use compression algorithms, so you might run into the occasional artifact, and you do need a decent internet connection to really take advantage of them. But they include Amazon Video, Netflix, Vudu, YouTube, PlayStation Video, Ultraflix, and a few others that all offer 4K content. 
Uh, in some of these cases, in order to get access to the 4K content, you have to pay a premium to the service. So you would have to step up a tier in Netflix, for example. You'd have to pay a little bit more per month in order to have access to the 4K titles. And again, it doesn't cover all the titles that Netflix has, but only some of them. And typically, if you wanted to buy a 4K title or rent a 4K title on a streaming service, they tend to be a little more expensive than high-definition uh, versions, which in turn tend to be a little more expensive than standard definition versions. Essentially, the more data that has to be pushed to you, the higher the cost is going to be to you. And if you don't have that decent internet connection, then it's going to be a miserable experience and you probably don't want to be streaming 4K content in the first place. If you're a gamer, many video games for the PS4 Pro and the Xbox One X are going to include 4K content, although the PS4 Pro is really more of a slight upscale than Xbox One X is. Xbox One X can do true 4K. Uh, so you'll be able to game in 4K. Uh, that is going to continue to change over time. You're going to see more and more titles adopt 4K technology, uh, as well as more shows and movies and other experiences will be upgraded to 4K as time goes on. The same thing was true for HD back in the day. I remember when the only HD channel you could get showed things like sunrises and sunsets and nature scenes and underwater scenes, stuff that had a lot of vibrant colors and a lot of detail. Those were the things that were featured on this channel that would run for 24 hours. It would just do these things on a loop. Uh, it was really impressive to look at, but there was no real narrative there. And after a while, you just kind of give up on the plot ever moving forward. But obviously, over time, we've seen HD content blossom, both literally and figuratively, so that we have a lot more to choose from. The same thing will be true with ultra high definition, but we're not quite there yet. We're still seeing that develop over time. So you might not have a whole lot to watch or play on your 4K set once you get it initially, but that's only one thing that you have to consider. How far away are you going to sit from your television? That's an important question for a couple of reasons. Every television has a range of distances at which it is best to view content, and it also depends on the type of content that you're watching. If you get closer to the television than that ideal range, you'll find that the set takes up so much of your field of view that it can create an unpleasant experience. If you sit too far back, well, you would have the same effect as watching a smaller screen closer up. So if you buy a 70-inch television, but you're sitting 25 feet back, you might as well have had a smaller TV and sat closer to it. You'll get the same effect. And honestly, it might even be difficult or even impossible for you to tell the difference between an HD set and a UHD television set each running their respective video sources unless you get really close to them. And then you might be able to notice the, the difference in pixel sizes. But at the optimal viewing distance, they might be indistinguishable from each other. Now, generally speaking, higher resolutions become more noticeable when you are closer to larger screens. The smaller the screen, the further back you are, the less noticeable the difference between uh, different resolutions. There's a site called RTINGS, it's essentially ratings, but without the A, 
that does television reviews. Uh, they also have some really great articles up about viewing distances, particularly for different types of televisions. They've done a lot of work to look at various TV viewing distance options and suss out which ones are the best ones for different types of experiences. So I'm going to rely on their system very heavily. But if you want to check out their site, which I have no connection to, I don't know anyone over there, and they don't know I'm talking about them. So this is honestly Jonathan's resource that he goes to for his own use. Uh, it is www.rtings.com. And I think it's a pretty handy resource. So happy to throw those guys some traffic because uh, they do good work. Now, one thing Artings concentrates on is the field of view something that's important to create a positive viewing experience. So, for example, sports can be a little disconcerting. They can even induce nausea if you if it's taking too much of your field of view while you're trying to look at one specific point uh, in the, 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 the image. So let's say that it's a football game and you're concentrating on the quarterback, but a lot of the stuff is going on around it, around you, and it's in super high resolution and it's taking up a lot of your field of view, that can actually make you start feeling motion sickness. So you don't want to have it take up so much of your field of view that's giving you a negative uh, experience. And it's also partly because sports tend to be really fast-paced. So you end up having to look around a lot, and maybe even move your head, depending on how close you are to the television. If it's taking up so much of your frame of view that you actually have to turn your head in order to follow what's happening, you're probably too close to the TV. It feels like you're sitting in that front row in a movie theater that's really too close to be a good viewing experience. You sit there and you think, the only reason these seats exist is so the theater can sell them. It doesn't have any benefit to the viewer. You don't want to be in that first row or maybe the first two rows, depending on the movie theater you're in. Uh, but let's say you know you want to figure out what is the ideal viewing area for your particular television and you, you want to take all these factors into consideration. Television, screen size, as well as its resolution. What do you do? Well, luckily, you can learn all about this over at that site I was talking about. According to the site, the average human viewing angle takes up about 135 degrees. So that's what you start with. You have 135 degrees viewing angle just from human vision. Arting suggests that if you want your television uh, to display cinematic content, like you're going to watch a lot of movies on your TV, maybe look at around 40% of that field of view being taken up by your television. If you want mixed usage, so you're going to use your TV to watch TV shows and sports and all sorts of different content, maybe video games as well, you want to go closer to 30 degrees. You want to decrease the amount of space it's taking up in your field of view uh, because bigger is not always better. It doesn't necessarily mean you're going to have a more pleasant viewing experience. So the size of your TV is going to help determine what you need to do, like how far back you need to sit from it. If the size of your TV and the distance you sit from it means it takes up 50 degrees of your field of view, it's going to start feeling like you're sitting in that super close theater seat that's totally unpleasant. So let's say you live in a modest apartment. And you have limitations on your space. You just don't have a whole lot of space to work with. Your chair or couch or beanbag or, I don't know, your faithful servant on all fours is positioned so that you sit six feet away 
from the television that you're watching. So if you're sitting six feet away at that distance, according to the Artings site, you have a size distance calculator, you'd be best served with a television that's got a 43-inch screen. So six feet away, 43-inch screen is perfect. Oh, and remember, these screen sizes are measured on the diagonal. They're not across. It's it's from one corner to the other corner, uh, diagonally across the screen. Now, could you buy a bigger screen for your place? Yeah, but it might not actually give you a better viewing experience. So let's say that you've been doing really well for yourself, and now you've got a nice large home theater room, and you've got your diamond-studded lazy boy set up about 10.9 feet or 3.31 meters from your television, and you plan on watching the Stanley Cup finals. So how big a television will you need? Well, at that distance, you'd need a screen that's 80 inches to take up 30 degrees of your field of view. So you're looking at an 80-inch television screen. Huge, right? But will you actually notice the uptick in resolution if you're using a 4K set and getting a 4K feed of the hockey game versus an HD set with an HD feed of the hockey game? Our Tings did this work, too. If the screen is small and we're sitting far away, we cannot perceive a distance or difference, rather, in resolutions. You won't be able to tell the difference between standard definition, high definition, and ultra-high definition because you're looking at a screen that's too far away and too small for those details to be perceivable. It does take this idea to the extreme, however, because if you're looking at SD versus HD versus UHD, you have to be really far away before those differences no longer register with you. So let's say you've got a 40-inch screen. It's a decent-sized television. How far away must the TV be so that you cannot tell the difference between standard definition and high-definition video sources? You'd have to have it 14 feet away, or 4.3 meters. That's pretty far. Most people I know don't set up a television 14 feet away from where they're going to view it. So this tells us that the jump between standard definition and high-definition is big enough in quality to be perceptible at normal viewing distances with your typical televisions. So if you're not going to sit closer than 14 feet, then it doesn't matter. But chances are you are. So high definition would make sense. But what about 720 high definition versus 1080 high definition? How close would you need to be to this 40-inch television to be able to tell the difference between those two? Well, you'd have to be about 8 feet away or 2.4 meters. So almost half the distance as the previous jump. So the 720 entry-level high definition, uh, once you hit 8 feet away, you would notice the difference between 720 and 1080. Still, you might very well have your chair set up within 8 feet. Like, you might be closer than 8 feet when you have a 40-inch television set. In fact, the ideal viewing distance for a 40-inch television screen is 5.6 feet. So if you followed that guideline you'd definitely be able to tell the difference between a 720 and a 1080 resolution screen. But what about ultra-high definition? So now we're looking at 1080 versus 4K. The ideal viewing distance to see the difference in resolution for a 40-inch ultra-high definition television is 2.3 feet, or 0.71 meters, less than a meter away. That's, that's for you to get to a point where you start noticing the resolution limitations. So chances are you're not going to be sitting that close to your television. You're probably not sitting within 2.3 feet of your TV, which means that there's not any real difference between the HD quality and the UHD quality 
as you perceive it because of the limitations of the human eye. This has nothing to do with the technology. The differences are there. We just can't see them because our eyes don't pick up detail at that level. So while the the technology makes it possible, we can't really enjoy it unless we're sitting uncomfortably close to our televisions. Now, obviously, that's 40-inch television. That's not in the realm of the big, big screen TVs. It's a decent-sized television, but, you know, they get much larger than that. What if we were looking at a 70-inch television? If you had a 70-inch UHD television, you'd have to sit closer than 4.4 feet or 1.35 meters before you hit its resolution limitation. So my point is is that in most viewing cases, you're not likely to see a big jump in picture quality on resolution alone, unless you're sitting right up on your screen. But one thing you will get with a 4K or UHD TV is the freedom to sit at whatever distance you prefer from your television without it affecting your perception of the resolution. So you open up a lot more options with your home theater system if you're going 4K. You don't have to worry about, oh, well, this seat's a little too close because I can actually see the the pixels here. You're not going to have that happen with 4K unless you set the chair where you can reach out and touch the screen of the TV, which I do not recommend you do, particularly with a 70-inch television. Uh, so it doesn't necessarily mean that the experience is going to be measurably better. You might notice it occasionally, depending upon the feed, but it's not as big a jump from HD to UHD as it was from SD to HD, as far as our perception is concerned anyway. Uh, technologically, it was a huge jump. Now... It doesn't necessarily mean this picture is going to leap out at you with lifelike quality. If you've seen 4K demonstrations in stores and you've noticed a huge difference between 4K and 1080 and you thought, well, Jonathan, you're crazy. I've been to a, a television store and I've seen the 4K sets and the quality is amazing. And then I looked at the HD sets that are running the same video and the quality is nowhere near as good. It is demonstrably better with 4K. This could be an example of a store gaming the system. I'm not saying all stores do this. I'm saying lots of stores do this. So there's more money to be made selling 4K TVs than HD TVs. There's an incentive to move those 4K televisions. To do that, you need to show that the 4K sets are much better than the 1080 sets, at least until the standard has shifted enough so that the 1080 sets are pretty much no longer an option in the first place. So you only have 4Ks to choose from. One way you could do this is by stacking the deck. By making sure the video feeds going to 4K sets are true 4K video. So you've got true uncompressed 4K video going to these TVs. That's going to give you the best quality video, uh, at least as far as resolution is concerned, on those sets. Meanwhile, you might use highly compressed high-definition video sent to the high-definition sets. So while it is technically HD content, it has been compressed and therefore has introduced artifacts and some other elements that make it less ideal. So you can notice the difference between 4K and HD, but it's in part because it's been manufactured. It's the it's not playing on a level field. The One set's getting the absolute best equipment and the other set's getting the worst, or at least substandard. So that's a possibility. I'm not saying every store does it. I'm saying a lot of stores do do it, though, so you might run into that. Also, when you're looking at 
televisions in a store, chances are you're going to be standing a lot closer to the TV than you typically would at home when you're viewing it in your home theater space. As you are closer, you will notice differences in that quality. The higher resolution when you're closer is going to hold up better than a lower resolution. But again, once you get into the viewing conditions of your home, you may be far enough back where that difference doesn't play up so much. You can't really notice it. So keep that in mind as well. And I think this is a good place for me to relate a personal anecdote. I remember going to CES a few years ago when 4K sets were still in the concept phase, kind of the way 8K sets are now. I remember walking up to a company. I won't name the company, but they weren't the only one. Several companies were doing this where they had two different television sets side by side running the same loop of video next to each other. And one of them was a 4K set and the other was a high definition set. And I remember walking up and as I walked up, looking at the two and thinking, I can't tell the difference. If they did not have the signs there or if someone put one sign over, like if they swapped the two signs with each other, I still wouldn't have known. I wouldn't have said, wow, this HD actually looks better than that ultra high definition. To me, they looked almost identical. It wasn't until I got very close that I started to notice the differences. But then I was beyond where I would normally be watching the television. I would have been further back had this actually been in my living room. So it was largely lost on me. And at first I thought maybe it was just my limitations of of my vision, but a lot of other people felt the same way. Now, I think there might have even been a bit of a bias for some folks, because if you tell them this one's got a higher resolution than that one, they might believe they perceive that higher resolution, even if it's not within human levels of perception. Uh, You've got this in biases all the time and in various experiments and studies, you have to be extra careful to build in for that. So that way you don't, uh, you don't skew the results. So if you have the option, you should do a double blind test, which means neither the people running the test nor the people taking the test know which display is HD versus which one is UHD. And if you could still tell the difference at normal viewing distances between the two, that tells you that UHD has a demonstrably better resolution if it's perceptible. But otherwise, you would just say, well, you really can't tell the difference. Uh, the same thing, by the way, is true of the 8K sets I've seen. Actually, I would argue it's more true. Even though you've got way more pixels with an 8K set than you do with a 4K set, those changes in details are so subtle to the human eye as to be impossible to tell the difference. So while I think you could probably tell the difference between HD and 4K if you're close enough, you have to be real, real close to an 8K set before you can tell the difference between an 8K and a 4K. Uh, I just don't think that leap in pixels, as impressive as it is, has any real benefit. Uh, I do remember seeing a demonstration of an enormous 100-inch 8K television set in which I was invited to take a magnifying glass and walk right up to the screen so that I could finally see the individual pixels with the help of magnification, which was an impressive display, pun intended, but it was not really practical for any everyday use. I mean, first of all, it's a 100-inch television. I definitely don't have a space where a 100-inch television would fit and make any sense. Some people do, I guess, but I can't imagine a situation where that 8K would actually result in a noticeable difference in quality. 
At least not unless you had your nose pressed up against the screen. So the question is, am I completely opposed to 4K and higher resolutions? Well, you'll find out in a second. But first, let's take a break to thank our sponsor. All right, bottom line. Do I think 4K TVs are worth it? If I were shopping for a television right now, I would probably look at 4K sets since they're starting to come down in price and it would help me future-proof my TV. So as much as it sounds like I've been bad-mouthing 4K, I'm really just trying to build the case to explain why that higher resolution is not necessarily the selling point you should look at. You should not look at that number and think, this number is bigger than my old TV's number, therefore this television set is better than my old TV. It is more complicated than that. But I would look at 4Ks if I were buying a television right now. When they first debuted, they were costing thousands of dollars. I am not in that tax bracket. I am not going to be able to spend five grand on a TV. That's just not who I am. It's not, I don't make that kind of money. If someone wants to make me an offer, let me hear it. Otherwise, I'm going to buy televisions that are more in my price range and only when I really need to upgrade. I don't think that 4K on its own is enough to push you to upgrade to a new television if your old television is working well. If your old TV is still displaying a good picture and you're satisfied with the way it performs and it works with all of your other equipment, I do not see a reason to upgrade right away. If you are looking to upgrade, 4K is probably the way you should go rather than trying to find HD. The differences in price have have come down to a point where it just makes more sense to look at 4K than to keep looking for HD. So just don't expect it to be an enormous leap in picture quality from resolution alone anyway over an HD. Uh, it's not as big a leap from HD to 4K, as you noticed from SD to HD. So instead of fixating on resolution, I would actually look at other factors to help guide me to purchase the right television set for me. For example, is it a smart TV? This might surprise you because if the answer is yes, it's a smart TV, that actually makes me pause when it comes to buying the television set. I want to know what those smart features are, and I want to know how they are implemented in the television set. Is the television potentially going to compromise the security of my home network? If it's an attack vector for a hacker, I don't want it. Not everyone incorporates smart technology in a smart way, meaning a way that prevents outside attackers from getting some sort of access to your network. Now, a hacker might not be able to access everything on my home network through my television. It may be that that's just not possible, but they might be able to turn my TV into a bot for a botnet and send traffic to some other poor, unsuspecting web server out there. I don't want that to happen. So I need to know that the smart TV technology has been implemented in a way that is safe, which means doing research. I don't off the top of my head, know how all the different implementations are. So I couldn't just rattle off which brands are, are good and which brands might be less good at security for your home network system. But beyond that, I also want to know what features are in there. 
Are there any voice activation features? If so, how does that voice activation work? And is it constantly monitoring me? Is it something that could potentially record conversations? Again, whether a hacker attacks it or someone on the back end of things flips a switch, I don't want that. I want to maintain my privacy. So in those cases, I would say, let's not get that smart TV because it ultimately could compromise my own privacy and security. So uh, I don't jump immediately on the smart TV bandwagon. Even though I love technology, I love getting the new toys with all the new bells and whistles, I don't want to jump on that wagon at the expense of my own safety. So I, I would probably be a little cautious about buying a smart TV. Unless, of course, I researched it and saw that either the application was really, really safe or that the features that were involved are such that it's not likely to be a privacy risk in the first place. However, I've got a lot of other equipment that already allows me to access lots of streaming services, uh, web browsing, that kind of thing that are already connected to my entertainment system. So I don't really need my television to do it too, but it would just be a redundant system on top of the other ones I already have, unless its implementation is so much better than the experience I get on my various consoles and other equipment that it just makes sense to switch. Because that could happen. If a TV interface is somehow better than whatever other equipment I'm using, then I would switch. But again, it would have to meet that level of privacy and security that I require before I adopt that technology. Then there's refresh rate. This tells you how frequently the television creates the image. How quickly does it paint with pixels? How many times per second does it refresh the image that you are looking at? Old standard definition televisions in the U.S. had a refresh rate of 60 hertz, which was 60 frames per second. Though really, we were talking interlaced. So really it was... 30 lines of pixels refreshed every second and 30 other lines of pixels refreshed every second with the two alternating each second. So, or multiple times each second. So all the odd lines would be displayed. Then all the even lines would be displayed. Then all the odd lines displayed again. Then all the even lines displayed again. And both of, both sets would refresh 30 times a second with the full array of pixels uh, being, you know, that's where you get your 60, you take the 30 times two, that's where you get your 60 hertz. But nowadays you can find refresh rates at 120 hertz or 240 hertz or even higher than that. Now, does that bigger number mean better? In my opinion, no, it's very similar to resolution, except in this case, I would argue that the bigger numbers are actually creating a less enjoyable viewing experience, at least for me. This again is personal preference. The higher refresh rates create a smoothing effect. So you reduce motion blur, you get smoother transitions, you can follow fast-moving action much more clearly. It's very good for stuff like sports. Let's say you've got a really fast sport event that's on display on your television. With a high refresh rate, you can really follow the action easily. But to me, that same quality makes certain television shows and movies almost unwatchable. It creates what people have referred to as the soap opera effect, this feeling that you're watching a digital video soap opera that feels a bit uncanny, right? It doesn't feel like you're watching film or movies or, or television or anything like that. And uh, I personally don't like that effect. 
So I would not be looking at any sort of television that has a refresh rate of 240 hertz. Uh, 120 hertz would be the top level that I would look at. The tricks used to create those refresh rates can smooth things out so much that, again, it just becomes this negative experience. And I always talk about the Hobbit 48 frames per second version that I saw. I hated that effect. I had a very negative reaction to it. I know there are filmmakers who love it. I despised it. There's also other things to consider. The way the television is backlit is important. So you've got to have light coming from behind the television screen in order for you to see the displays that your television shows, right? Like You won't see any picture if there's no light coming from the TV. But some televisions use light that is called edge lighting. Edge lighting creates columns of light across your television. So that means that the color and light representation is going to be more accurate within those columns than it will be at the edges of those columns. And it's not as good as a fully backlit television that has what is called full array local dimming. If you have full array local dimming with a backlit television, it's just going to be a more convincing image in general. The colors are going to be more accurate and the uh, lighting will be more accurate as well. And it can provide lots more gradations in light intensity. So you can have more subtle differences between various, say, darkly lit scenes. Uh, I always think about the Batman films when I talk about this level of of quality for television. Uh, if you think about Batman movies, particularly the ones that were made, you know, in the 90s and, and up to present day, they often have action sequences that take place in the dark. Batman often is lurking in the shadows. But if you don't have a really good display that's able to show these gradations in, in, uh, uh, similarly colored items on screen, like things that are dark gray versus black, Everything gets lost. You can't make out any detail. So you need to have that subtle change in lighting to be able to make out what's what's actually happening. Otherwise, you might as well just be watching a black screen and play the movie soundtrack on uh, on a stereo. Then there's contrast ratio, which is related to this. You want a really good contrast ratio, but there's a problem. There's no standard of measurement for contrast ratio. Contrast ratio is something that a lot of manufacturers talk about, but there's no simple metric to point at where you can you can judge one television versus another just using that metric. It doesn't exist. What you want is the ability for your television set to display true black colors as as close to true black as possible and true white colors as as close to bright white as possible with as many different gradations between those two extremes as you possibly can get. The more gradations you get, the more accurate you can represent different colors and different levels of light. So uh, keep in mind that if you go to a store to check out these televisions, because really the only way you can get a, an idea of a television's contrast ratio is to see one of the TVs showing something. You need to watch the TV so you can see what the contrast ratio looks like, like do the dark portions of the screen actually look dark? Do they look charcoal gray because there's a lot of light bleeding through? You need to actually be there in person and view it. The problem is if you go to a store and you go and watch these TVs, they may not be calibrated properly, which means you might not be seeing the television at its best 
example, right? It might be miscalibrated. So it may require multiple trips to multiple stores to get an idea of which sets are the, have the best contrast ratio. Or you can rely on review sites that have people who calibrate these sets and do measurements and they try their best to say which ones have the best contrast ratio. That's your other option. I do highly recommend doing that research because contrast ratio does make a big difference, especially if you like to watch movies in a dark room. Uh, it's going to make a huge difference. This is getting a little complicated, but that's the way good televisions are. And now there's high dynamic range or HDR. This isn't about resolution, but this is about color replication. It can also contribute to better contrast ratios if you have HDR. Now, HDR is a technology. It's a set of standards, which actually it's a competing sets of standards, as it turns out, but it's starting to shake out now. Uh, but like 4K resolutions, in order to enjoy the the uh, technology of HDR, you're going to have to have content that was shot or processed in HDR. In other words, if you just play any old video on an HDR television set, it's not like the colors are going to suddenly turn magical and feel like you're right there. You have to have HDR content to take advantage of this technology, just like you'd have to have a 4K video to take advantage of 4K resolution. Now, if that is the case, if you do have HDR content and you have an HDR set, you're going to enjoy a much more subtle palette of colors than one that does not have HDR. Images are going to appear more vibrant. They're going to, the, the brightest colors are going to have very subtle changes in them, so it looks very realistic to the point where if you have a really good high-resolution television with HDR, it might look like you're looking at a window into another scene. So if it were a garden, it might look like you're looking at actual physical plants and the television is really just a portal that leads you in there. So it gives you an amazing sense of depth. It's not 3D the way we traditionally think about. Like, we think of 3D as stuff coming toward us from the screen. But this is 3D in the sense of depth. Like, it feels like you could step into the screen and go further into the scene itself. That's how effective HDR is when it is properly implemented. There's always a qualifier, because you could do bad HDR and it won't make it, won't make it look magical. It'll just look bad. So uh, it is pretty powerful stuff, though. So I highly recommend that if you're going television shopping, you look at HDR. So if I'm buying a television today, I'd look for something around the 50-inch range, because that's about what I have now. Maybe go up to 60-inch, because I'm tempted to. I know that 60-inch is probably too large a television for my living room, but I kind of want to make that mistake anyway. My wife, however, being the voice of reason, keeps me grounded. Sometimes literally grounds me, but that's a concept for a totally different type of show. So I'd probably stick somewhere in the 50 to 55 inch range. I'd want HDR because even though it's early days of HDR and there's still not a huge amount of content out there, the difference is really noticeable, more so than 4K resolution. So I would definitely want HDR to be part of the television. It probably would be a 4K set. I don't think I would find an HDR HD set out there, or I don't know that I would necessarily want one. I might as well go to 4K if I'm going to go with HDR. And it probably would not be a smart television. 
and it would have a true refresh rate of 120 hertz at most. Uh, otherwise, I would not be interested. Now, if some company out there is saying, Jonathan, you're totally off base. You have mis misrepresented these technologies. Our televisions are amazing. You will definitely tell the difference between this ultra-high definition resolution and whatever you're currently using. We can guarantee it. Here's how we can prove me wrong. Just send me the television, and I'll be happy to give it a full test drive and report on it and let you know what I thought. Because Daddy needs a new TV. This never works, by the way. Years ago, I mentioned on an episode of Tech Stuff that I really wanted to go on a helicopter ride. And there are a couple of helicopter pilots who are out there who are Tech Stuff fans, including one who works around Atlanta. And I've not been in the helicopter yet. So I anticipate I will not magically be the recipient of a 4K HDR TV anytime in the near future. But a guy can dream, right? And it was my birthday just the other day. All right, more seriously, guys, that wraps up this discussion. Is 4K resolution really worth it? It's debatable. I side on the probably not for most cases, but at the same time, if I were buying a television today, I would get a 4K set uh, because that there are other options that are frequently bundled with 4K that make a very real difference. And who knows? It may be one of those times where I would notice a little bit of a difference, and sometimes a little bit is enough. If you guys have any suggestions for future episodes of Tech Stuff or you just have something you want to tell me, send me a message. My email address is techstuff at howstuffworks.com or you can always drop me a line on Facebook or Twitter. The handle for the show is techstuffhsw. Remember, you can watch me record this show live on twitch.tv slash techstuff every Wednesday and Friday. Just visit that URL to see the show's schedule. You'll get to see me. Uh, the people who watched this stream also got to see the guys from Stuff They Don't Want You to Know. They stopped in and chatted for a while. Uh, that did not make the final podcast, but it did make the live stream. So you can always join in and see. You never know who's going to show up or what sort of mistakes will happen. All sorts of shenanigans happen today. I hope to see you there. And I'll talk to you again really soon. this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. 